Everybody is Lise Winnie here back again, just like I said that I would be here with Millennials Anonymous. So today we are going to be talking about something that is near and dear to me, like I always say, but we're not talking about the Grammys today. So I know that a lot of people have been talking about the Grammys with, you know, Cardi B and everybody's kind of upset with Cardi for winning. And then they threw BET, threw Nicki Minaj in there. And we will definitely get to that. And I will talk about that at some point, especially about how the media and people in general just tend to like put black women against one another. And that's one of the reasons why we have so many problems, because black women, we always get put against each other. Like there's there's never room. And I've always said this or I've said this in the past. There's never room for more than one African-American woman anywhere, it seems like, which is crazy to me. There is space, plenty of space for more than one African-American woman to thrive, especially in the music industry, in rap, which is an African-American built genre. Why can't there be more than one African-American female that's doing the thing and on top of the charts? I don't know. But today we're actually going to be talking about something that I think more of us need to be aware of and more of us need to be talking about. Are, you know, from the standpoint of let's just talk about the Democrats today. So so we're going to talk about who's running for 2020 presidential election. We have 11, 11 candidates currently running now. So that's Booker, Buttigieg, uh, Castro, Delaney, Gabbard, Gillibrand, Harris, Klobuchar, Warren, Williamson and Yang. So we've got a whole basketball team of people running for president, and I'm a little concerned. I'm not going to lie to you. I can see problems or problems with most of the people that are running. So are the Democrats in trouble? I, I don't know. We've had so many things that have happened over the last couple of weeks and days that shows that I think they, that there is some weakness in, in the party. And I think we need to really start to bring up a lot of these newer people. So the, the newer freshmen need to really start becoming the front runners because I can certainly see some problems with the people that we have running. I don't know if, if the candidates that we have running right now, if things continue to go down the path that they're going, are going to be able to get elected, if they're going to be able to win. And that is a little concerning to me. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I can see some problems with a lot of the candidates, especially the ones that are front runners, even though I dare to say front runner, since we've learned our lesson from 2016, that front runner really doesn't mean a whole lot. And we've got to be very careful with that. You know, because we, we did a really poor job in 2016. Let's just be real. Like everybody thought it was in the bag and this person couldn't win and... You see what we have. So there is no such thing as a front runner. But who are these people? Who's running? Why should we know who's running? And what should we really be concerned about? I know that a lot of people want Joe Biden to throw his hat into the ring. And they're kind of reminiscent for, you know, someone like Biden. I, you know, I, I think Uncle Joe is a, is, is a very good counter Trumper in the sense that he kind of says it the way he means it. He is very out, 
kind of outspoken. He's gotten in trouble for saying things sort of like Trump has, maybe not to the extent because, you know, he's a different human being. But, you know, he's kind of says it like he means it and he's a white man like Trump. So he might have a good shot. And then he kind of, you know, brings back some of that Obama reminiscent era of Obama and all the things for some of the, the people that really, really supported and loved Obama and miss him. So we'll see. But let's let's at least talking about who is running. Like, let, let's talk a little bit about who is running since we have 11 and I said 11, I, you, you heard me right. And that number is only going to grow because to be totally honest with you, it's very early on. So it is quite pos possible that we're going to get more people that are going to throw their hat into the ring. Now, who we know aren't going to run are some of the people that mentioned it, like Oprah Winfrey is not going to run. Tom Sire is not running. So these are just people that we know are not running because they said that they're not running. And of course, we have our unlikely to run like Clinton. I know some people said they have heard some rumors saying that she's thinking about running, but I don't know how true it is, but I've heard it. So, you know, let's just for now put that as an unlikely to run. John Kerry, I think there was maybe some some remnants there that he might run. And then Eric Holder, you know, there was some remnants there that he might run, but it's it's unlikely. So these people are unlikely to run for for president in 2020. But, you know, let's let's just keep our ears and eyes open, because, like I said, it is very, very early on. So you just don't know a great article. And they update it quite frequently, actually is uh, if if you haven't gotten a chance to go to the New York Times and pull up uh, the article in the pol the politics section of who's running for president in 2020, not only is this a great article that kind of keeps you up to date with who's throwing their hat into the ring, it also gives you some information about each one of these candidates and who they are and why they're you know running, what are they running on, where are they from, what's their current position, and, and a little bit about their background. So one of the people that more recently through, well, I'm not going to say more recently, it's probably been over a week now or two weeks now, Cory Booker. So a lot of people know him. I would say he's one of the front runners because he's well known. A lot of people are familiar with who he is. So if you see his name, people don't, you know, you know they're not like who. Um, so he's a senator from New Jersey. He's the former mayor of Newark. He, he kind of if I'm not mistaken, he was doing an interview on The View and he says he's still, I think he may still live there. You know, he said he lives in a uh, a working class neighborhood, you know, and that's kind of what sets him apart from the other people who are running because that was something that was asked of him because he's friends with Gillibrand, he's friends with Harris. And so they asked him like kind of what makes you different from the rest of them since, you know, you have similar views, you have similar politics, um, similar track records what set you apart and really what he was saying without saying it, it was that he's pretty much started from the bottom. So he is the little guy. He's not just fighting for the little guy. He actually is. He he started from a working class family. He didn't really have, you know, a lot of connections in, in politics and he was able to kind of make his way to where he is now. And so he didn't come from a well-off background. So he understands what it's like to be in that working class environment and, you know, and still living in, in that working class neighborhood to this day. So, you know, a lot of people 
came to know about him because of President Barack Obama's 2008 campaign. He also uh, spoke at the Democratic National Convention when, um, you know, back in 2016, I I believe it is. And so he's really, really good at, I would say his, his, he's a very, very charismatic speaker. I, I think he's, you know, even when I heard him speak, I was like, wow, he really could, you know, definitely captivate an audience. I think he's going to have problems because, you know, during the Kavanaugh hearings, he wasn't seen in the best light. A lot of people said he was grandstanding, you know, and in, in, in um, Saturday Night Live kind of made fun of him for doing that. And, you know, so... I, and he, I mean, he did, he did address that in the interview that I heard him talking about. That's, that's not really what it was about. So it wasn't that he was trying to overshadow and pretend like he's this grand guy. He really was just doing his job and trying to get the the information out for the people and make the best decision possible, which I can certainly uh, agree with him on because that whole hearing was just a media circus. It was, it was absolutely, I think, it just said a lot about the United States of America, you know, and in their views and the political, like the politics behind it all. Like people aren't making decisions based on common sense. People are making decisions now based on just politics. But with that being said, you know, he he he's going to be able to raise the money. So I I can see him definitely being in it for the long haul, because like I said, he's one of the more well-known people who's running for president. Uh, You know, he's also been one of the the leaders in, you know, criminal justice reform, which the article mentions. Um, But his appeal would likely to be, you know, to unify the country, which is something he also said in the interview with The View. The only reason why I think that it could be problematic with him is because in a couple of interviews, one of the things I noticed is that he didn't answer questions that to me seemingly were very easy. I think the question that he kind of averted in this interview that I saw most recently with him which was the view was basically how would you go up against, you know, and kind of what would your rebuttal be against Trump saying that uh, people are better off now financially than they were a couple of years ago. And it just like, he went all the way around the bush. Like he never really addressed the question. And if you can't address that question now, it's going to be very hard for you to address that question later. And so I don't know if he's ready to answer a lot of those tough questions head on. Great speaker he is, but can you actually answer those tough questions and how you are the best person to do it, you know, because you're you're going up against somebody who, for the lack of better terms, kind of makes stuff up and you have to be able to call him on it, you know, and he's making up stuff. And that's the kind of person that we need, somebody that's going to call him on it, but not get in the dirt with him, but really call him out. Like, that's not, that's completely false. What are you talking about? So we need somebody that can really answer all of those touch, tough, tough, tough questions. Another person, I'm not going to go through everybody because we got 11, but I'll try to hit on everybody a little bit. So we have Pete Buttigieg. He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He is former U.S. military. He is a veteran. I really like this guy. And the reason why I like him is because I am a millennial and he speaks to a lot of the millennial issues, talking about the student debt crisis, talking about climate change. So he's talking about things that directly impact 
the millennial generation because we're the largest working cohort, which means over time we're going to be the largest contributor to the U.S. economy because a lot of the baby boomers are retiring, which also speaks to some of those unemployment levels since they were a really big group of people. So, and a lot of them are coming out of the workforce. And so, I like that he's speaking to these issues and he's also addressing an issue for the student loan crisis that nobody's really talking about because that's going to cause problems down the line and nobody's really talking about it. He's also openly gay. He's actually been able to do something. His campaign that he was able to run in South Bend, Indiana was absolutely phenomenal. The fact that he was able to win in that red state like that or that red uh, district or county and win as an openly gay former military veteran that that's very young because he's only 37 years old. So he's done amazing things. I I like him. I like him a lot. Um, I'll have to watch and see and, you know, really pay attention to his record and how he's voting and how he addresses some of the issues that are coming out and what he's speaking out about, especially like with all the things that are going on in Virginia and how is he monitoring that? What's his response to it? Um, it same thing with a lot of the when it comes to funding and, and fiscal spending, like what what are his viewpoints on those criminal justice reform? So just kind of watching him a little bit more because he's newer in this. So kind of seeing where his background is and where his politics are. When you have somebody that's so new, it is sometimes hard to find out really what they're about when you don't really have a whole lot of history there. But I do like a lot of the things that he wants to do. Um, he he ran a long shot campaign and won. So it's, it's quite possible, especially in such a divisive nation, he may be able to do something and bring people together that no one else has really been able to truly do. So I think he's one to watch. Um, like I said, it, it would be a long shot for him to win because he is so young and he doesn't have a lot of the traditional qualifications. And like I said, the background, but we'll see. Um, in the article, it says his signature issues are, you know, really stressing generational identity, like I said, and a call for policies on issues like climate change and economic opportunity, which is something that you've heard from both sides of, of you know, whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right, it's something that you've, well, not about the climate change, but about the economic opportunities on the left and the right. So we'll see what happens with him. Another one that I think it's still kind of a long shot. Uh, Julian Castro, he's 44, former housing secretary. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about him. Um, former mayor of San Antonio. Um, he didn't run against uh, Ted Cruz for the Senate race in the 2018 midterm elections. Uh, you know, I think he could potentially have problems because him in, if Beto O'Rourke, who I, I like his personality a lot, I think he's very charismatic. I think he can carry a lot of the young vote, but we'll see. Um, but if he, like in the article, it mentions that too, if he gets into the running, it, it could be problematic for him since, you know, they're both from Texas. A lot of their main donors are going to be from the, in that area. I think they're going to be pulling a lot of the same vote. So it could be problematic if he gets into the race. I think he's still going to have you know, problems even so, because he's not as well known as a lot of the others, uh, especially on a national level. So I think he, he may struggle, but his emphasis, according to the article, really is on universal pre-kindergarten, Medicare for all, and immigration reform. And like you said, anytime you see someone who's in a border state, your immigration reform is going to be very, very 
big, a big topic for them. So I can see him, especially with the whole talk of the wall, really kind to, to push on that more and really expanding more on immigration reform, which could potentially boost him up in the polls. I don't know, um, especially since that's something that's on people's not minds. It keeps shutting down the, the government, which they averted. But it could be problematic still down the road. So so we'll see. It, it is it is an ongoing issue. John Delaney, who is a former congressman from Maryland, my home state, and a former businessman, also put his hat into the ring. I think it's going to be a long, hard road for him. Uh, it looks like he's been running since 2017 pretty aggressively, but that's concerning uh, given the fact that I haven't heard a whole lot about him, not a lot of people mentioning his name. So I think he's going to have an uphill battle. Um, you know, he's even been to some of the swing states or, or key districts, but or key states, but I think he's just, his name is just not out there. I think his policies are just not going far enough for people to really be paying attention to him. Um, you know, he, he's a, he's bipartisan. He's, you know, that's kind of what he's pushing himself as the bipartisan problem solver. But, you know, he's he's liberal. He supports liberal causes like universal health care. But he also does tend to swing conservative on certain things. So that could prove a, a successful mix for him. But I think just in a battle of so many people, especially when we saw with the Republican Party having so many people running, I think he'll get lost in the in the sea of candidates. I don't foresee him being a front runner, but you never know. Like I said, you gotta stop using that. You never know. He may, he may be it. Um, we have Tulsi Gabbard, if I'm saying her name right. She's 37-year-old congresswoman from Hawaii, and she's Armor Nas Army National Guard. Um, I think she's gonna have some problems. So she she was a Bernie supporter in the 2016 primaries, which is not problematic, but she is a Bernie supporter. But she has had some problems because she's met with the Syrian president, Bashar al-Assad, uh, and, you know, with all of the using of chemical weapons against civilians and not a good thing. So <laughs> anytime you have that, you're going to have problems. Um, and she has a lot of issues in her past with anti-gay statements and working with anti-gay advocacy groups. You can read more about this in the article, Who's Running for President in 2020. But I, I just see her having problems. I, I don't see her going very far because of that. I think that's going to be very problematic for her. And then she kind of is taking on the opposition to American military intervention overseas, uh, including countries like Syria, in, at least according to the article. So we'll we'll see, uh, you know, what happens with her. But I think her past and, and her former acquaintances and the people that she affiliate has been affiliated with, I don't see that bowling well for her. Um, just, just from the standpoint of all the bad things that have been going on recently, especially among minority groups, I just don't see her going very far. Then we have Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, she's a senator from New York, former congresswoman. You know, I I like some of the things that she's she's done. I think she stood up to Trump. Trump has really kind of gotten down on her, and I think she's done a really good job of of standing up to him in a way where she's not getting too down in the dirt with him. Um, you know, because he had mentioned about her when she was in running for for Senate 
the Senate in New York that she would come begging him for his support and all this type of stuff. And she stood up to him really, really well. And I, and I think she did it in a way where he really couldn't do much more because she she was very firm with what she said. And I like her. I, I do like a lot of the things that she said. Um, you know, she was in a conservative district and she's had some pretty conservative policies. So I think that's going to come back to bite her in the bum um, with some of the things that she's, she's kind of went with. Um, but, you know, I think she's really trying to change gears a little bit. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, her signature issue, according to the New York Times, is really going to be women's equality and the opportunity, um, it, which I've seen, she's done a lot of pushing for um, women's rights and equal pay. And so we'll see what happens with, with her. I think she will also have some problems because two of her buddies are running and they have similar things that they're running on, and that's Booker and Harris. So we'll see what happens and if she can manage to hold her own in this race of such a diverse pool of candidates and so many. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But the next person is really, really popular. I She is definitely a front runner, in, at least in my eyes. And it's Kamala Harris, senator from California, former attorney general of California, former San Francisco district attorney. So I like Kamala. I think she's very intelligent. I've, I've listened to a lot of her her interviews, and she's able to answer the tough questions, and she doesn't shy away from them, but she's going to have some problems. And her record, you know, when she was in California as attorney general and district attorney have been pretty harsh, especially against minorities. And so I think she's going to have a lot to answer for. However, you know, in, in viewing a lot of her interviews, it she doesn't shy away from it. And she's been answering those very tough questions. And I think to have a presidential candidate that is not shying away from their past and is really able to embrace the mistakes that they made and understand the mistakes that they made and take ownership for that is huge. We live in a world where fact is not fact and truth is not true. And so I like that. I like that she's taking ownership of it. She's not saying that it didn't happen. She's not saying that she didn't do it. She's saying that it happened and it, it had adverse effects on people. And I've learned from it. And those are the things that I did at the time because I was trying to do what was right for my constituents or at least what I believe that the, the people of California wanted. But I see now that it was very problematic and we have a broken criminal justice system that needs to be fixed. And I like that she's done that. And I like that she said that. Um, she's very new. She's new um, to the Senate. So she's uh, what after 2016. So she's very, very, very new. She grew, you know, in attention right after the Kavanaugh hearings as well, just with, with Cory Booker, because she was like a standout. She asked a lot of the very tough questions. She didn't back down. I can see her as a very strong candidate. I see her problems in her past record as attorney general, but I also see problems with some of the things that have come out. So there's a rumor that she had an affair with the governor. You know, I, you know there's issues with people saying that she's identifying as African-American when her mother was, you know, really Indian and she's kind of running on the African-American vote. And then she kind of grew up in a very well-off home. So is she really connected to the people? So she she's going to have some issues, I think, running, but I think she's tough. 
I think she's a tough candidate, and I think that she's going to continue to stay a front runner because she's not backing away from those. So here's what she's running on or her signature issues, according to the New York Times. So basically unveiled a middle-class tax cut legislation last fall. Um, so that's really what she's going to kind of continue to push on that middle tax, middle-class tax cut or legislation for a middle tax uh, tax middle class tax cut. Oh my goodness. And then she's been a champion for liberal civil rights in the Senate and, and now more recently criminal justice reform, which I think is a smart move on her part, especially with given her past. So we'll see what happens with her, but I think she's a really strong candidate and we're going to hear her name for a long time. So I, I certainly see that. And I see her running. So we also have Amy Klobuchar, who recently put her in, I think, what, like a couple days ago? She she recently formally announced that she was putting her bid in. Uh, Senator from Minnesota. Uh, she also became like a champion in the Kavanaugh hearings because she was the one that was asking him about did he think he was an alcoholic? And then he kind of threw her father into it. And then it, it just, it was not good. But she also came back from that uh, comment really well. Um, he he since apologized to her for what he said, but it was completely uncalled for. I did think she handled herself quite well in that situation, which is very good to see a presidential candidate be able to answer those tough questions and not back down. So, you know, she wants to get Democrats to focus more on the swing states. So in the middle of the country, you know, kind of that conservative message that Trump kind of ran on uh, the forgotten people in the middle of the country. I, you know, I think that'll be a big pull for her, but I don't know if that's going to bode well on the coastal states. I, I don't know if she's going to be able to identify with those individuals. So we will see. Uh, I think she's also going to have problems because there was a recent article that came out that she was, was it verbally abusive to her staff? So I think that's going to be a problem going forward. Things coming out of her office about the way she talks to people or some of the behaviors that have been exhibited by her over the past or in the past. I don't know what you know, will be the outcome of that, but I can foresee more things coming out in the future. And with us having a lot of people who are coming into the politics with a shady, very seedy past, I don't know if what will happen. I don't know if she can withstand some of the things that may come out of her office. When you have a leaky office, it can prove to be detrimental to any campaign except for Trump's. But other than that, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But her champion or her signature issue, according to the New York Times, is really going to be the opioid crisis and drug addiction, which makes sense since her father uh, struggled with addiction himself, alcohol addiction, and then to address the cost of prescription drugs, which is something that also a lot of people are really looking for because the cost of, of health in this country is astronomical. So I do foresee you know, kind of her running and, you know, well, I think she'll be a strong candidate. Like I said, I don't know if she'll be the front runner or a front runner, because like I said, there's some things that are coming out right now. We just kind of got to wait and see. Elizabeth Warren is the next person on this list. Oh, so Elizabeth Warren. Okay. Senator from Massachusetts, former Harvard professor. She is quirky. Um, I, 
I I like Elizabeth Warren. I think she is is you know a very passionate person. I think she's very smart. Um, I think she's going to have problems. Um, the whole Native American thing, you know, with her saying that she was Native American, and then she took the DNA test, and it shows that she was like point zero one eighth of a percent like Native American, which is you know, not good. And then when they pulled up her records for Harvard, she actually applied as a minority, a Native American. It's going to prove problematic. Trump has already started the tweets talking about her. I think she's going to have a hard battle, a hard road with Trump going after her so harshly, calling her Pocahontas and the, the continues back and forth between them. I think it's an uphill battle. I think also a lot of people are going to have a hard time kind of differentiating her and separating her from Hillary Clinton because she was a very strong voice for Hillary Clinton. So I don't know. Um, I think she's going to have an uphill battle. I mean, she has some of the best experience though, I would say as far as, you know, being in the Senate for as long as she has and like, you know, her, her, her background, legal expertise. I think she's really has the experience, but I don't know if she's going to be the right candidate because of all of the other things that have gone on. If this was any normal other election, she might be able to do it. But because she's going up against Donald Trump, I don't know because of the history there. And then when she took the DNA test and it proved him, I, I don't know. Um, I, I I just, I like her as a senator from Massachusetts. I don't know about a presidential candidate, but like I said, we will see what happens. Her signature issues are going to be in income inequality and, you know, trying to really help the middle class. And then of course, fighting big corporation and political corruption, which is much needed, but I just don't think she's the candidate to do it. But that is just my opinion. It doesn't mean that she's not a great candidate and it doesn't mean that she won't win, you know, the Democratic ticket. I, I don't know. Um, we also have Marianne Williamson. She's a self-help author. She actually was Oprah's, like, advisor. She's a New Age lecture lecturer. Um, she has connections to Oprah, so that's always a good thing. Anytime you have connections to Oprah, that's amazing. She's pretty accomplished. She's, you know, yeah, so anytime you have connections to Oprah, it's a good thing. Um, but I, I think that she's still going to have some problems, even being connected to Oprah. And here's why. Well, so she has a pretty aggressive plan. Um, you know, she has a, a background in business. So she's an author. She's written more than a half dozen self-help and spiritual books. Um, she's Oprah's direct spiritual advisor or something like that. Uh, she ran for Congress as an independent in 2014, but she lost. Um According to the New York Times, she's been a champion for the rights of gay men with AIDS. So she's even founded a charity that helps supplies meals to people who have the serious ser or serious illnesses. It doesn't say just for AIDS, but she's proposing, and this is kind of what raised people's eyebrows. She's proposing a $100 billion uh, payout in reparations for slavery, which you know, we've been we've been waiting for these reparations for a long time. My African American people need me. We've been waiting for a long time. But um, with ten billion dollars, she wants to have distributed annually over the next ten years for economic and education projects, not to give somebody a leg up, but to help close the wealth income gap that we can't seem to close in this country. So it's not to give somebody a leg up. It's to make sure that everybody's on the same playing field. Because, you know, after slavery ended, 
the slave owners didn't have to give the money that they made off the cotton and all the other crops back. They kept it. And so, you know, a lot of there were some African-Americans that ended up moving to the north. But a lot of them that stayed in the South became sharecroppers. And then eventually some of them were able to own the land, but they never quite reaped the same types of benefits because the land was given to them, you know, at crazy prices. They weren't given the best land. They, they weren't able to sell the same amount of things because there was always that oppression there to make sure that they didn't. So there was never that close of the income gap. It was always there. And so this basically... I think what she's trying to do is just to level the playing field. I think that it's going to be a bit much for conservatives. Um, it, it's a very lofty bill to try to pass, especially coming from a background where you don't have any background in politics or law. I, I think it's going to be a hard uphill battle for her. I do not see this passing. I do not see her being the final ticket holder at the end of it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like I said, let me stop saying front runner. We all know what ha happened with that. So I'm going to stop saying that. But it would be nice to see some reparations, but I seriously doubt it will happen. Um, the next person we have is a similar plan. Not reparations, but a similar plan. This is Andrew Yang. He is 44 years old, former tech executive who founded an economic development nonprofit. I like him already because he's he's in the nonprofit arena. Always like people who give back. Um, he's really kind of running on a whim. Uh, he's gotten a lot of attention because he's really, really, he's really smart and he knows a lot about the tech world. So he's been able to highlight a lot of the issues in the tech world with robotics and artificial intelligence, which we're coming to, you know, an AI world where things are going to be automated. We're going to be living in an automated world soon. So to know and highlight some of those issues is always good to have uh, a president that understands that we need to move forward and to be very aware of technology and how to use that technology for good and, and solar energy and all those types of things is, is an amazing quality to have. However, I think that where he raised eyebrows and caught a little bit of attention was he wants to establish a universal basic income. If you don't know what that means, basically it just would be a payment that would go out to all Americans, despite income, despite where you work, despite where you live, all Americans would get $1,000 per month, which would help distribute some of the wealth in this world because there's such a gap in where the wealth is. I think 26 people in the whole world have like over 50% of the wealth. So it's it's absolutely, well, I don't I think that's a little high, 56 50% of the wealth is a little high, but it's like 26 people, they have a lot of the wealth and the rest of us are just kind of like trying to make it. And so I think this would help, you know, especially, you know, for people who are homeless or, you know, single parents kind of give them an opportunity to be able to afford housing and daycare and food and things of that nature. So I, I like the idea. However, I don't, no. So here's what he said. So basically he said the universal basic income is an old idea, but it's an old idea that is right now is uniquely relevant because of what we're experiencing in society. So I like him. He's the first, I think he's the only, well, he's the only Asian American that's actually running for president in 2018. I don't know if he's the only Asian American that has ever ran for president. So we'll have to see if he won, he would be the first Asian American president ever. So he would definitely make history. 
but we'll see what happens. Um, like I said, I think it's going to be hard for Democrats and Republicans to jump on board with the universal basic income. I do not, you know, I think it's a long shot. Conservatives are not going to go for that. Uh, and even some some of the liberals are not going to go for that just from the fiscal m- money standpoint. So I, I don't know. I think we're in, I don't know. I think the Democrats are in a little bit of trouble. And I think they need to find out what the party stands for. I think they could learn a little bit from Republicans in the sense that they kind of stand with one another, right? And it seems like the Democratic Party kind of folds in on itself and it kind of starts eating from within. So I don't know where the Democrats are going. I think they have some problems right now that they need to address. They have a lot of people right now in the party that are problematic. You know, the whole situation in Virginia with the governor with blackface, it was him, then it wasn't him, and then it was him, then it wasn't him. And, you know, and even he he won't say who he was in blackface or the Klan's outfit, but either way, you know, that's not good to be in a Klan's outfit or wearing blackface. The fact that you thought it was okay to put it in your college yearbook in 1984 was a problem in and of itself. Then, you know, they had the third in line who also was in blackface. So that's problematic. I don't know what was going on in Virginia in the 80s, but that's not good. So then you have the lieutenant governor that has been accused of sexual assault, not once, but twice. Um, they both of the women who came out seem, you know, or the stories seem credible. Um, especially the first uh, woman who came out. She seems credible. I think he's in a lot of trouble. And the sad part is, is he was an rising star in the Democratic Party. How did they not see this coming? How did you not see that? And the fact that, to me, the Republicans didn't see that whole blackface thing when they were, I, I, I don't know, that's bizarre in and of itself. But the fact that all of this stuff has come out, and I think, you know, a lot of the things that I am proud of with the Democratic Party, they don't stand for the nonsense. I think the issue is, is that where do we start to begin to define what the party is and who should be the front runners and the leaders in this party? Where do we start? And then not to mention, we had the new freshman uh, uh, house, that she's in the house of representatives who not once, but I think twice has been, you know, tweeting or saying things that are anti-Semitic. Where do we go? You know, like, because this is, it's it's going to be a problem. We need to be able to figure out, okay, as a party, where do we go? Because we, one of the things I will say, the Democrats, if they hear something, they will get it out or at least try to get it out. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in Virginia. It doesn't seem like the governor is trying to step down so, or the lieutenant governor. So we'll see what happens with that. But it seems like they they definitely will move. The Republicans don't. And I think that's why their base is so strong because they back their people. And that's not necessarily a good thing because they back their people, whether they're right or they're wrong, but they back them. The Democrats, like I said, we start eating or they start eating from within and we don't really have a defined notion of who the leaders are in this party or who the leaders should be and what the Democrats really stand for. We just, we know what they're against, but we really don't know what they stand for. And so I think it's going to be a problem. I, I think that's really where the focus needs to be. If, if the Democrats expect to win, um, to really be able to define what it is that you stand for, what, who are your front runners in this party? And, you know, I, I love the fact that they stood up because we know that 
diversity wins in the Democratic Party, but what what are your policies? What are you really standing for? If you've had individuals that have been in your party that you guys openly supported and things have come out that clearly anyone could have really seen that yearbook, it, you know, and people supported him. So where where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I think that going forward, there we have a lot of candidates that are really smart, intelligent, um, quick-witted, charismatic, but they all kind of come with some problems. Even though you're not going to get a perfect candidate, there is no such thing as a perfect candidate. Everybody comes with flaws, but it's what are we willing to accept as as a nation? And then as the Democrats, who are you looking to really lead this party? Who are you looking to have the candidates be the head? You know, like your Democratic, who is it? And I think that it's just going to be very, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. But like I said, I, you know, just see problems arising left and right and left and right in the Democratic Party. So it's just a matter of figuring out what is it that they stand for, who are going to be the leaders in the party, and making sure that the people that don't need to be here are not here representing us because it's starting to eat away at our credibility as the party that is of diversity, of change, of getting rid of corruption, of living out of the old world and bringing in the new world. Like, we, we, we got to start soon because, you know, the election is coming up. So we'll see what happens. Um, I would be more than happy to hear what your opinions are and who you think should and should not throw their hat into the race. Like I said, a lot of people are waiting on Joe Biden. Um, we'll see. We will definitely see what happens and who will be victorious and who will be the best candidate at the end of the day. But we got a long way to go. So there's going to be a lot of people who may trickle back in. We got Bernie Sanders that might come back in here. So we got maybe Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg might come in. You just never know. So I guess we just have to wait and see what happens. So this has been Lise Winnie here with Millennials Anonymous. I would love for you guys to leave me a comment. Let me know what your concerns are for the people that are running for a presidential election in 2020 or who you think should run for presidential election in 2020. Yeah, go ahead and send me either a comment under the post, comment on Anchor, comment on Google, or you can send me an email if you really, really want to. If you really just want to fuss me out and be like, you are so wrong, go ahead and send it to me. I'm going to love it anyway. It's Lisa at LisaWinnie.com. So this again has been Millennials Anonymous. Bye.